0: Everybody, welcome once again to Cult Following, the podcast brought to you by the fine folks who bring you Cult Classics AZ every month in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, and we are on our 25th episode, everybody. I'm one of your three guests, and we have a special guest for this edition. Three guests, ho- uh, no, guests, start <laughs> all over. Oh, I, don't I know. fucked that up. It's early no. Oh, no, I'm keeping that no, in. all right. No, no I want to start over. <laughs> It's early enough. I can Eh. call it.
1: Right. Hey,
0: hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Cult Following, the podcast from the people who bring you cult classics AZ every month in Tempe, Arizona. I'm one of your three hosts for this, our 25th voyage into cinematic discovery, and we have a special guest today. But... Before that, I'm Victor Marino, along with Adam Rukowski, hello, and Kirby Nelson. Yes, and our special guest host for this episode is Brian Polito. Hell, Satan, the creator of Lady Death. We're not gonna make it out alive. If we're La Muerta, which we'll hear about, and the director of The Graves, which is part of the After Dark Horror Fest,
2: shot in Arizona.
0: Yeah. So we're going to be talking about that and many other topics because our grand overarching arc for this episode is horror.
3: <laughs> Just
2: in time for Thanksgiving.
3: That's right. There's nothing
0: <laughs> scarier Thanksgiving. than Thanksgiving. Uh, you beat me to it, you bastard.
2: One day it'll come out. Thanksgiving. Keep praying every I know. day.
0: I'm still kind of amazed uh, that we haven't had too many Thanksgiving-themed films. Actually, we're going to have an article this week about some of our favorite films. Uh, thanksgiving films in general but uh before that we're gonna talk about what we've been watching this week Mm. of late Mm. since our last edition Mm.
2: Mm. Mm. the thing that's kicking my ass if you're asking is the leftovers on hbo it's in its second season Mm -hmm. and uh what i enjoy about the show it's it shows on a sunday and i just get so icked out and freaked out and bugged out but here's the disclaimer you either have to be on the Damon Lindelof train or not. So Damon, I was about to say that. So, you know, with Damon Lindelof was one of the writers slash creators on Lost. And you have to sort of be comfortable with the ever-present ambiguity, the non-resolution of story topics. I see V looking at you. Are you an are you anti-Lindelof? Uh, no, oh, I am. am I, I,
0: I am mean. anti-Lindelof. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm just having a blast with this show because so many shows are about providing answers, and this show is just question, 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 question. Mm. And, and it's very creepy, too.
0: Yeah. I think my whole thing is I was really into, like, the first show he was working on with Bad Robot, uh, which was Not Lost Alias, which is a really good show, I thought. I enjoyed it. And that had a... Uh, over- overarching mcguffin plot where you know i can't remember i think it was called the rambaldi device or something where the main assassin girl had some prophet, you know prophetic connections to it um it didn't really pay off but i'm like eh, it was a good show i could forgive that and then i was you know like everyone else i was really on board lost you know, and as time went on, I realized, like, I forget how many seasons Lost ran, like, seven. I think it eight. ran seven. And yeah. you realize at the end, you really only needed to watch, like, maybe one or two. And, like, like you know, because they do, like, you know, this is what's happened on Lost. And, like, literally they skipped entire seasons. You could have skipped all of season two <laughs> and not even, like, missed out on anything. And oh, that's good to the know. resolution just really, you know, it turned out to be some kind of, you know, purgatory Type thing, you just. I like it. Spoiler when Spoiler
3: alert!
2: Yeah, gee. Oh God,
0: yeah. It. How long was it? Did get this over the spoiler. Years ago. <laughs> yeah,
2: get over the spoiler.
0: It's just one of those I'm things where, like, I want you know, I, and I get it now. Shows now that do this, I feel, are built in to have the resolution. And I think back then, they were kind of making it up as they went along, like X-Files and loss, and like, okay, we got to...
3: Haven't they admitted that, that they were kind of making yeah. it oh, yeah, up as yeah, they were yeah. going along? Yeah. Yeah.
2: You but know, there was it... a, There was a time on that show where they had an open-ended contract with the studio, mm-hmm. and then there came a point where they realized their storytelling was kind of sucking, and they said, okay, look, we can only do this for X amount of time, and then it started uh, compressing the storyline and heading towards something. You know, for me, I guess I'm Team Lindelof, because... You know, point of the journey isn't always to arrive. And they're taking quite a lot of risks. And, you know, whipping it back to leftovers, it's a really juicy premise. So the idea is two, four years before the story began. It's something like the rapture, but not the rapture. Yeah, see, thats it's unknown. And yeah. so what happens is uh, 2% of the human population disappear overnight. That's 190 million people. And people just start making it mean what they mean. And, and people are just living whole different... Lives. There's new religious groups. Uh, you know, people are crazy, and there there is an air of the supernatural going on, particularly this season.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: again, more opening up of questions and, and and truly some horrific stuff going on there. Speaking of horror,
0: I have heard the season of it is much better than the last one. I think what lost oh. me last season is it was just really oppressively negative and depressing.
3: Yes. <laughs> I want a little of that every
2: once yeah. in a while.
3: I think it was just like you're watching... It was nihilistic. It yeah. was right up my alley. Well, yeah. of course. I mean, would, I would assume so.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what
3: he kind of reminds me of? A, the, the movie, The Rapture.
2: Yeah, that was a that was very dark. That was a dark. really good movie. Mimi Rogers. Yeah, the Mimi yeah, Rogers. Very, mm-hmm. very dark film. Yeah.
4: yeah.
3: I haven't seen the show yet. I think Anne has been watching it, but I haven't seen it yet.
2: I recommend but what, it.
4: What else? What else would the end of the world be? I mean, honestly... Like even you even talk about as a small percentage, because one of my favorite uh the graphic novels the last time is Why the Last Man, and it's just such a it's funny, but it's it's bleak. There's a lot of like just endless, uh, mind not mindless but like uh, directionless in the the world and stuff like that. And it's not I mean it's. Obviously like some social commentary, gender commentary and stuff like that. But in the end, no matter what, it's still all these people who've lost the ones they've loved. And that's the first thing people understand is like what if you lost what if all those people were your like your support, your center were all the people who went away. Just uh, think of that. See, it's I simple. think Kirby would
0: probably like the show. Oh, I probably
4: would love yeah. it. If it's bleak and so, desolate, like, yeah. then I'm into it,
2: like every time. So but yeah, i thought it was funny cuz they did everybody does say that that first season was very bleak, desolate, nihilistic and then the producers promised that season 2 would be lighter in tone and i'm laughing cuz i'm like it's it's getting it's plumbing new depths of sadness so <laughs> i like it cuz you know hey real life can be up and can be can be down and i like some shows that are fun and some shows that are uh but this one goes to a very special and unique place so i do recommend the Leftovers, starring the very handsome uh, Justin Thoreau. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jennifer Aniston. Yes. So are they
3: just started season two, right now. Uh, well, I, I, think think like in, uh, I think we're like in. I think we're in
2: like uh, episode seven of season two. Oh, okay. So yeah. yeah. And the great uh, one final piece on that too is I really can't predict where the heck a given episode's going to go, and I like that too. I'm really not a procedural guy. Like after a couple seasons, CSI and stuff, maybe Criminal Minds I like a little bit, but it loses me after a while if it's like the disease of the week or the mystery of the week or Mm -hmm. the murder of the week, and you just cannot predict where the show's going to go. And even
4: some of those shows, I noticed that's like, because they're in what, like their 14th, 15th season, they've hit a point where they finally just started either open-ended and there really is no resolution for that story arc or something, like especially with the the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff um and then there like it just ends the episode just ends and it's like it's not a cliffhanger because each episode is you know uh standalone standalone mm-hmm. encapsulated and then they just kind of forget it but i go but that's especially in like a procedural that's what would happen I mean, it's like a cold case. It's going to be, you know, cast aside. They're not going to have you working on it forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, there's there's a reality to that in the criminal justice system. So, it is interesting to see a lot of these shows sort of trying to embrace things
0: that, like, in the 90s, like, were really verboten, like, very serialized storytelling rather than just, like, case of the week. But it's weird. A lot of the new shows this season have been really sort of along the lines of this show is a procedural and then they tag something onto it like i still like *iZombie*, zombie but it's totally like any procedural show mm-hmm. just like with a gimmick right you know and then i was watching blind spot which is exactly the show that was on fox in the 90s called john doe like exactly the mm-hmm. same show except with a girl and she's Jane Doe, you know. And I've tried it. I, I kept watching it for a while. Blind spot. It's just gotten to the point where it's got some weird overarching mystery. And now they're getting to the point where, like, if you guys haven't seen the show, it's basically like she has all these tattoos, and they're using them to solve crimes. But now there's like tattoos within the tattoos, and they're they're now they're asking like questions like, how could this crime be happening if I've had this tattoo for so long? So they're kind of like flirting with the idea down the line that we're going to find out. It has some like science fiction-y element, Hmm. and they're kind of laying the groundwork on. But to point to that, this weekend, um, I saw this new Amazon show. It's called The Man in the High Castle.
2: Ooh, I want to see that.
0: And um, it's really good. It's it's produced by Frank Spotnitz, who used to be one of the producers and writers on The X-Files. And it's produced by Ridley Scott. It's based on a book by Philip K. Dick. And it's really, really good. You would like it because it's really dark. But at the same time, it's like really interesting. It's an alternate history, without spoiling it, where uh, what would happen if like um, the Nazis or the Axis powers rather won World War Two and took over America?
3: Oh yeah, right. I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's it's really it's really well done. I think uh, without. Like, yeah, without about spoiling it, it and you can watch the whole season, first season on Amazon Prime right now is they've taken it's full of genre actors and it's actually doing interesting things with them. Like, you know, like rather than cast them according to what they're usually cast as. And one of the things I found really interesting, one of the best parts of this is they cast um, uh, Carrie, I think, here kari hiroyuki nagawa who you would probably know is the guy who plays Shang Tsung in like every mortal Kombat thing you hmm. know he's got the your soul is mine line <laughs> that everyone uses for memes and he's playing his japanese trade minister with and there's like this like kind of subplot going on where he's trying to smuggle the secrets of like the h-bomb to the japanese because they don't have it and the nazis do and there's like a like, without spoiling it, the first episode tells you that Hitler's kind of sick. And this is set in the 60s. And they're afraid that when Hitler dies, they're going to try to bomb the Japanese to take over the rest of America. So they're basically trying to, you know, get into, like, a Cold War kind of situation. So it's really interesting to me from, like, Hmm. politics and alternate history kind of point of view. Oh, yeah. You know. The other show that debuted this weekend, I think, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, is Marvel's Jessica Jones
3: oh Anne's watched the whole thing already yeah
0: right. and that it's it's a good show it's it's different it's not like like daredevil or anything where they mm-hmm. don't really go out of their way to make sh- me like she clearly has powers but they don't really play it up at all and it's more like a noir thing but then there's like this weird undercurrent because i was talking to this with ruby it really bothers me and it, i'm sure it's present in the comic where like basically um the main villain, David Tennant's character, he's got um Killgrave. Yes. He yeah. has psychic powers. In the entire show it's like played up that he's used these powers multiple times as a rape kind of scenario. Yeah. And that is like the whole kind of underlying thing, like, you know, rape revenge kind of thing going on, like I spit on your grave sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really like surprisingly dark. Like if this was like a a movie, I would probably rate it like R or slash NC-17, almost. There's no nudity, but there's a lot of, like, dark elements in there. It's really well done, but I, I was like, whoa, did not expect the show to be going in that direction.
2: Yeah, that's kind of, that's the premise of the, pretty close to the premise of the comic. Kilgrave, mm-hmm. and she had, a, had it out, and it was a life-changing event for her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, like, well-directed. Like, um,
0: I do kind of feel like it was too long, and that's the that's the danger of like these tv shows where and since they're designed to be binged where it's like two less hours would have been super perfect you know
3: as Um, opposed to uh ash versus evil dead i I can't get enough of it
0: you know i think it's really smart the way they're doing it because they're like what four or five episodes in four yeah yeah, and there's like i can't say there's been a bad episode yet right it's like you're getting just enough Mm-hmm. And like when it's done, like I'll be able to watch the whole thing. Like oh, it's like a little movie.
3: Yeah, I was I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about that. That I once it's all done, I I want to like put them into Final Cut and just compress it into like <laughs> just one. Movie. Yeah, because it would it would fit perfectly all together. You know.
0: Well, I like how they're like intro like I I guess we can probably you know people have been watching you know listening to us you know we've been kind of serializing it a little bit um i still haven't seen it okay. all right <laughs> well, yeah. i will that, say it, over they've apparently. introduced a couple of elements from the movie in the last episode that i thought yeah. were really clever to tie it in like oh now this makes sense type thing mm-hmm. and i was wondering before since there's multiple protagonists when they were going to tie them in together yeah and they're doing a good
3: job with that yeah yeah they're not rushing it but yet again they're not you know taking their sweet time about it mm-hmm. things are starting to kind of connect better yeah
2: yeah, I haven't seen it either, but I totally look forward to binging on it during the holidays. Yeah. The Man on the High Castle and Ash vs. the Evil Dead, right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as far as
0: movies, I've, you know, I've watched. And I'm going to try to go through this really quickly, so you guys can do too. too. Um, I watched this new horror movie called Amnesiac. It stars um, Wes Bentley and Kate Bosworth. Uh, very misery-ish. Um, I wouldn't say that it's good, but it's on netflix and if you've got a couple hours to kill it's all right um like
3: cleaning the house
4: background kind of thing <laughs> yeah
0: it's i expected it to sort of be better and it
4: isn't when you <laughs> said wes bentley that's just right where i go pretty much yeah
0: um i watched this uh, documentary called i am thor about john Michael oh you thor. watched it I, yes. i'm still waiting yet um yeah it's on vod right. um oh i know yeah I really kind of was hoping it would be a lot better. Oh, it's, you know, it, it's not like Anvil, the story of Anvil or Decline of Western Civilization or anything. It's yeah, just I didn't like expect that. it's kind of just like this guy was kinda of niche popular and right. then he got kind of full of himself and then the rest yeah. of it is kind of following him through the years as he struggles
2: with. Oh, him. so the musician Thor. Yes. yes. Yeah, like rock From and roll nightmare. nightmare he yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, he yeah. mentions that it mentions rock and roll nightmare. There's like a part in there where he mentions he was gonna be Thor in adventures and babysitting, but Gomer Pyle took it away from him, and they had to pay him <laughs> off. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. That's that's one of the things. The whole movie, um, or documentary rather, he is a very unreliable unreli- narrator. Like it talks to the bandmates, like he's cheating out of money, and then he, he lies about why they're not continuing with him. Uh. He keeps, it's just like, and he goes through a lot of hard, hard stop, or you know, hard knock life. Rather, I, I would say. It's if a you, hard knock
3: life. Thor. Pretty
0: much, that's kind of like the whole thing. You know, he goes on tour in Europe and nobody shows up. That kind wow. of shit.
3: Have, have you ever seen Driver Twenty Three? No, I would have to recommend that. Any anyone here seen Driver Twenty Three? Uh, it's it's a documentary about a gentleman that's that lives in Saint Paul, um, my old stomping grounds, and uh, it it sounds very similar to what Thor's life. How it how he maybe put himself in a position of. Uh, Personality of like Mm -hmm. becoming, you know, Thor, and it's like, why isn't why don't people understand what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to be, yeah, kind of thing, and and how his life is around him is just crumbling, but he's holding up that personality of like being, yeah, the persona of
0: it. It does kind of sound sort of because that's not his
3: real name, so
0: well, it's it he it seems he's pretty much adopted it, like the same. Well, that's what I mean. He's
3: kind of put on a persona his whole life, and he's been keeping it up.
0: Like if I could compare this to something, it would sort of be like that movie, The Wrestler, like okay. somebody who believes like their own hype yep. for the longest time and just kind of right riding it because that's all they kind of have going right. But yeah. like, like I guess to me, like I was kind of expecting like Jake the Snake. Or I was expecting like that, kind yeah. of a like an anvil thing where like there's like a resurgence or a comeback and mm. it kind of doesn't end that nope. way. <laughs>
2: nope. So. Now here's a totally obscure footnote of no no real value, but I back in the day I went to school at NYU and lived in the Greenwich Village mm-hmm. between uh, eighty eighty five and Thor was uh, living in the neighborhood, so we'd see uh-huh. Thor in his beautiful mane, you know, rocking mm-hmm. on down the oh, road, yeah. always with like you know a couple of pretty
0: blondes. Yeah, just to tie it into that, there's a it, it talks to one of the guys who used to book shows at CBGB's, which isn't far from there. Sure, and he's like. You know, he talked to Thor and he's like, oh, yeah, Thor was a metal guy. and He could sell out CBGBs. That's how that, you know, they love punk and this metal guy. He just made it like so you could tell a lot of people <laughs> were feeding his ego into believing this kind of. I
2: guess he had his moment, yeah. but you know, like I'm a longtime metal fan. I don't mm-hmm. think he popped anywhere. Probably. It's no. probably like big no. in Belgium or something. Yeah. I mean, not there's not even like one song I could think of to hang my hat on for right. Thor. It's yeah. like
4: you have to do. Uh, it's like I don't even know if it's the benchmark of big in Japan. Because, I mean, he never. I mean, the only way I think he could have ever done well is if he had just toured from with Man O' War for the rest of his there life. You go. Like, right. I honestly, and a lot of those kinds of bands, but I mean, there actually was. Most people who are known from film film fandom and stuff know Rock and Roll Nightmare. It got a, uh, a big re release package by um, Synapse about eight years ago or so, seven, eight years ago. And there actually is a sequel to that called Intercessor, which I don't think the majority of people own i got this like for like a (laughs) dollar as a bargain bin find and it's like i mean he had those films and stuff and i think at that point in time you know he probably looked himself like hey i'm schwarzenegger dolph lundgren kind of guy and you know i'm just gonna have this huge success with music and movies and it's like he never really made a dent either, and so that's the thing, like I can't, you know, talk about worrying about the Victor kinda of know like where it was gonna be his peaks and valleys. And I mean to me I can't imagine because even Rock and Roll Nightmare, even for a low budget horror film, was just it, it it's it's a fun MST three K kind of thing, but it's it's just not good. It is definitely the number one film though that I do remember as a kid looking at the back of the VHS box art. And every good still, every money shot in there of, like, the creatures is all in the film for less than, except for the end battle, which is unbelievable. I think Richard yeah. Christie wrote it up one time in one of the horoscope columns in a Decibel magazine, and it's so spot on as to his evaluation of it. And he's Whoa. he's also, like, one of the biggest Hard Rock Zombies fans on Earth, so yeah, that that should be, like, enough to say that his standards are pretty... <laughs> pretty spot well, and on and that's
0: the thing like why i was kind of expecting something because literally i know him from that the, from rock and roll nightmare and they gloss over that so quickly like i oh yeah i was in rock and roll nightmare and they show the box cover they show like a second of his scene in there and then like i'm like and then right on to adventures and babysitting <laughs> and i was like okay clearly this has a plot point it's trying to race to you wow. know but yeah it's it was really like okay no it, this is just like Long shots of some fanboy in North Carolina putting him up for a night and how
2: anecdotes about farting. I'm not (laughs) even lying. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, the opposite of the the Anvil documentary, which was tremendous. They caught them at the right time. And these guys really do have a pedigree. Yeah.
4: But that's the difference is that Anvil was always – it's not like the hype machine. It's that they just never stopped working or doing what they were doing. And if he had done his own thing, I mean, I think that there is – a purity, um, you know, you can put stock into something that believes in itself, believes in themselves and stuff like that. I think bands that, there's plenty of bands who've been touring yeah. 20, 30, 40 years and they just, they don't, it's always been their thing. Because um, there was a great one, I always think of a few years back that was on the band Pentagram. Sure. Oh and yeah, Bobby yeah. yeah. And it's called Last Days Here, and yep. it's yeah, you that's know. a really good documentary too. And again, much better than this. Oh one. wait, yeah. much much better. Okay. But yeah,
0: actually, they're probably very contemporaneous, where it's kind of like you know, in a sense of like latter day rock star going through a lot of delusion because apparently he has a lot of health problems now. Thor does because he had a stroke and wow. he's blind in one eye and everything. But at the same time, I thought uh Last days, with, like you really felt for him, and I don't really, I didn't really connect with Thor in this thing. So anyway, that's much more in-depth review than I thought I would end up doing.
3: No, so I appreciate. It's it.
4: probably more of an evaluation yeah. than that film was. <laughs> I mean, or that documentary. Yeah. So that's um, why.
3: That's why I was kind of trigger shy on, on. Yeah.
4: Renting it. So.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it'll be end up on one of the services soon enough. I guess, and we'll go to you really quick because I think we both saw this movie. Mocking Mockingjay Part Two. Oh yeah, no,
3: yeah, we saw it over the weekend. And what did you think of it? Um, I have closure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked Part One much better. Yes, Um, but that's basically how I feel. Is I have closure. now, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that the book's closed.
0: Yeah. Um my my whole take on it was basically like uh you know I haven't read the books and Ruby had and she said everything in there is in the book. I kind of just. <laughs> Even the weird ass ending that I thought was not
3: good. Well so, you know, it was what it was. Yeah. Uh and then it, just real quick on on this the the underground dwellers. Uh-huh. Ash versus Evil Dead. It's the same design. Totally. It's the same design. Yeah. So um
0: it has the mutts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> we're basically, down, like, we're no, the only ones good. who get it.
0: We're the only ones who basically um <laughs> there's a monster on Ash vs Evil Dead called Igos. Right, a these are recurring yeah. demon, and the mutts in a uh, Hunger Games Part Two, Mockingjay, uh, or Mockingjay Part Two, are the exact same design. <laughs> That's like the exact same yeah. thing. We, who like, made
4: it? Both of them. You should. Look they're it probably up. both yeah, they're
0: ADI or something. But basically, this was uh, part Mockingjay Part Two is
2: directed by um, Francis Lawrence, who also did mm-hmm. I Am Legend. Yep, very oh, similar. Yep. yep. So, any? Oh yeah, those bad guys in I Am Legend. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not good. Mm. Goofy. Yep. Yeah. yeah golem yeah well i think the fights basically
0: there's this fight scene in mocking jay Party, it was kind of like the highlight of the movie and i'm pretty sure it only works because when you see them fighting them they it's the person but they did really good cgi and the cgi doubles mm-hmm. um but it's that whole scene it's like just like the sewer fight in aliens so exactly the same down to the beeping boop, 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 you know anyway yeah. Um, so yeah, keep you you, you take over now, and oh, I went uh,
3: through my whole list. Yeah, so I saw uh, entertainment. If you heard? Uh, are you familiar with Neil Hamburger? The oh, I saw the movie.
0: I saw the trailer for that. It looked very like really, absurdist humor.
3: I was really excited about it because I love just how terrible his jokes are. Um, it's. It's like they just kind of they they had access to a camera and decided to shoot a movie. Nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. Um, not oh. like in the Seinfeld good kind of way, but just nothing really happens. They just kind of follow them around. I mean, stuff happens, but it just kind of it just does things. But mm-hmm. there's no there's no uh, story. There's no plot. There's um, but I mean, what else would you expect from Neil Hamburger? Yeah. I guess, and it's not. Well, they do call him Neil, but they just call him uh, the comedian mm-hmm. in the credits. So John C. Riley is in this too, right? There's there's a lot of split second cameos in it. Yeah, John C. Riley probably it's the has same
0: people who did Tim and Eric's awesome show and all those kinds of. Okay, yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, John C. Riley's probably has the longest cameo in it. Um, couple other people show up and you're just kinda like, well, whatever. I don't I don't know what this what purpose this movie had. Just yeah. Really. It just was just, just kind of there. I was somewhat disappointed. If anything, if you like uh, Neil Hamburger's stand up, they show a lot of stand up routines. Um, and audience interaction and stuff like that. Um, which is all it's all staged. There's nothing um, that's it's like alive. of a, a live or, or you know, taken from that. Um, you know, where it's on the other foot of what was that? That uh, that road hard with um, oh the Adam Carolla, Adam Carolla film. Um, I actually like that a little bit better than entertainment. It
0: does seem like there's a lot of these comedian traveling movies. That seems to be the way they kind of get their foot in the door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it and
3: it was a sad movie too. I mean, I, that's that's the other thing is is pretty sad. It's just you know a guy who's just down on his luck. He's the and he's trying to go from city to city and and they tried. Uh, I. I think there was something about him trying to reconnect with his daughter, but it ha- But really there is nothing about that in the film. Mm. So it's like, okay, Neil Hamburger is like a persona, so is he just fucking with us? You know, it, in it like an Andy be. Kaufman kind of way? Well, involved? that's always
0: how I took his characters. Right, I
3: mean, yeah. right. But I thought there'd just be a little bit more to it, or um, at least a little more kind of kind of gravitas toward it.
4: Well, um, Maybe like him and Thor should do like Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> oh, that would <laughs> just so throwing great it out. Oh there. my god, that, that would be, be frightening.
3: Awesome. Um, absolutely everything, directed by Terry Jones, uh, starring um, Oh Simon Pegg. Oh, I don't think I am familiar with this at all. And this is a VOD thing that popped up, and I am like, oh, what is this? Uh, probably one of the better Simon Peg films that have kind of come out recently and they just came you know kind of thrown to the wayside. I don't know why this wasn't in the theater. I don't know where it really originated from. Um but it it popped up on VOD and I watched it. It reminds me a little bit of uh Bruce Almighty where Simon Pegg's character uh gets um the the power to do absolutely anything that he wants. Mm. uh based upon the what was the um the the satellite not a satellite but the uh voyager that we shot up that had you know the little greeting and all that stuff oh the, V-ger. <laughs> um gets discovered by a race of aliens that are in this ship um who are all voiced by the surviving members of Monty Python. Oh. And they say, oh, you know, and then they're kind of laughing because they, they find these all the time from other planets, but they think of themselves as like the, the higher beings. And they say, well, let's test this planet, see if they do ultimate evil or ultimately good things with this power that we're going to randomly select somebody on Earth. Mm-hmm. So they give it to Simon Pegg and then hilarity and stews and you know stuff happens um it's not fantastic it's not great i stuck through it just because the monty python terry jones thing um but i you know i'm really shocked i haven't heard anything about this like i would assume
0: like the monty python thing would get it some press
3: and it it, you know i was kind of reading up on it because i didn't know much about it either and and they've said this is this is definitely the last time that you'll ever see the surviving members all of them um working together in a Mm. film Hmm. even though you only hear their voices because the aliens are you know these cgi things gotcha whatever but um don't go you know running out the door and seeing it like right away but if you just have
4: like nothing else to do it's not bad it's not exactly but it almost kind of sounds hitchhiker's guide it does kind of it it had a little bit of that feel to it as Mm -hmm. well
3: yeah Hmm. just because you know the whole universe thing mm-hmm. whatever uh and then last thing i watched the documentary on uh let's see drunk stone brilliant dead the story of national lampoon
0: oh i've heard i've heard a lot yeah Which I- was,
3: that was good i mean i didn't know much about the history of the magazine and the people but it was yeah it is, was is
0: this like one of the newer documentaries that has like animated kind of stuff going on or is it more talking heads
3: no, it it is more modern, okay. where they do kind of have the pages that come to life now okay. and again,
2: or, you know, are part of the, yeah, like animated,
3: mm-hmm. partially animated.
2: When I was a high school kid, I loved getting National Lampoon, because it was my only shot at seeing, you know, nice, robust boobies. Oh, yeah, boobs. boobs. <laughs>
3: oh, they take a lot of time discussing <laughs> the boobs. I love it.
2: It's a good
4: subject. Yeah, mm. I got a stack, and must have been in, like, 91, had a garage sale for, like, a couple bucks, and I don't think my folks even noticed and stuff, but... you know it truly was like i mean i grew up on like mad and cracked and all that but i just remember that the one thing i always remember national lampoons is that they had like alternate history kind of things and one was the idea that the word fuck became like completely in vogue and everybody used it was okay (laughs) and i mean this is it's kind of funny because you think about now with like meme culture and product parody and stuff, but they like changed everything. Like it's like a a box of uh or a thing of um, you know, it's like a board game. What the fuck? And <laughs> but the best one ever, and I still use it as an exasperation all the time is that you saw Pepperidge Farm fuckle ducks. So all the time it will always be ah oh, fuckle ducks. you're like, what the hell? But it's all from National Lampoons. I mean, there was some. Unbelievably great humor in that. So I've been meaning to oh, watch yeah. that one too. I saw yeah. it pass by on my Netflix. I'm like, gotta add it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Do you have any Kirby or should we just segue? Um I just got a quick couple. The um I think you guys already talked about, it, so I'll keep it brief. I finally saw the final girls. And oh, yeah, yeah. um I, I pretty much your guys' assessment, I feel the same way. It, it I. I the one thing I will say is I was a fan of of a uh, midnight movie, which was released in like oh eight, and it to me it's basically the same idea with more of a comedy twist. Um, it did work. I liked the cast. I enjoyed it. I just didn't love it. I was really hoping I was gonna love it because yeah. I just just really wanted to, but it just wasn't there. Um, I did. I I catch a lot of stuff in the dollar theater, so I finally saw uh, Black Mass uh, with the uh, Johnny Depp's portrayal of uh, Whitey Bulger uh the leader of the winter hill gang and you know one of the fbi's most wanted until he was caught and it's um i will say this i mean you know it's procedural as we kind of mentioned already but it's it's you know biography it's it's well done but i will say you know i i don't see much that i enjoy johnny depp in anymore but man is he scary as hell like as whitey bulger i mean there's a couple scenes that are genuinely kind of unnerving like you could feel the tension in the uh in the uh in the room so i i really enjoyed that um
2: even the previews he looks like he's all in
4: you know oh yeah type. he's 100 it, it's got a great supporting cast um and it's one of those ones where you just really realize like how bad things were like it, it's a really uh well done recreation of the environment not just by set pieces but by realizing how things worked back then um i'm a big true crime buff i have been since i was a kid and stuff more on the serial killer kind of side, but I do love the the mob and like the true crime stuff uh, in that respect. And it was, um, like I said, the biggest biggest selling. It was his performance. So I mean, if you like him or you're interested in true crime, I mean, it's definitely um, definitely worth a watch. Like, now, did you already know
3: the story before going in?
4: Uh, or any- largely, I knew a good chunk of it. Uh, I would read a lot. Of sp- I mean, it was it was all over the news when he was caught. So mm-hmm. anything I didn't know, it kind of filled in. But there were bits and stuff of, without giving a spoiler or anything away, like he had a son that passed away. And there's like, you know, you can kind of see that. Because he wasn't like a crime lord in the beginning. It's it's his ascension. It's not in a good fellas mm-hmm. kind of way, even if it plays on bits and pieces of that kind of classic archetype. And it, he just very... Um, You know, you just kind of see how it works and how it's enabled, though, is obviously like the crux of the film.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm interested in seeing it mainly because I know Jack Nicholson's character in The Departed is kind of loosely based on him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So.
4: Yeah. So it it was good. Um, Just a couple quick more. I did finally see Trainwreck. Still um, haven't seen it, which I didn't even know until obviously the credits ran. That it was a Judd Apatow film. Oh, I. I, I hmm. didn't know that. Like, I mean, I I just thought of it so much as this Amy Schumer vehicle oh, yeah, because I thought too. it was like her big big film. Um, she's gen. I I like her comedy. I know a lot of people here. I thought she was super funny in it. It's it's got the classic Apatow sad happy thing. Um, you know, a little bit more genuine and stuff, but it's good. I love Bill Hayer. He's one of my favorites. Definitely my favorite, like SNL of the last character, the last maybe five, whatever, five, seven years. And, um, you know, it's good. It's just, again, it's one of those ones where it really gets good towards the end. It's almost two hours. The first hour, it's kind of shoddy, but then it really builds up well and stuff, has better character development and growth um so again i i definitely thought that one was worth checking out i'm glad i went and i finally got to see it um i think we have talked about scream queens i'm finally caught up that's probably the only current show i'm caught yeah. up on and i still think it's just absolutely hilarious it's really absurd i'm
0: i'm even though you, i'm glad they've just thrown all pretense of it being even remotely realistic out the window yeah. so i don't have that same kind of American horror story that they're actually trying to have a storyline thing. It's like, no, there is a very loose storyline, but everybody, it's,
4: it's a dark comedy. It's not even, it's not self-referential anymore. I mean, it's gone full airplane. Like they've hit a (laughs) point where it's just like, I mean, unbelievable. And it's golden. It really was Some of the blackmail material that that they used to threaten other characters.
0: (laughs) I'm just like, they just must sit around and think, what's the most disturbing weird ass thing i could say like i think there was a few episodes back it's like if you do if you don't do this i'm going to tell your boyfriend that you pledge yourself watching dora the explorer (laughs) and i'm like what (laughs) the
4: yeah that one was good there's a lot of good ones uh the deaths are always fun it's enjoyable um and then i've gotten cultured the last two weekends uh victor and i both saw evil dead the musical it was oh yeah it was really good my second time seeing it at Mesa Arts it was it was very good and then I actually yesterday um finally got to see Toxic Avenger the musical so I saw both were close out shows for their respective runs and um I I you know I've always been a Toxic Avenger fan I'm not a huge huge trauma fan but I always enjoy and I especially love their ethos the DIY and stuff and the musical is really good I mean very very funny um not as funny as Evil Dead, but still really enjoyable. But the cast that I saw it with was only maybe six people playing, like, 20, 30 roles. Wow. Like, it was unbelievable how wow. many roles they played. Um, there's even a bit where one of the characters literally goes 2 face and plays two <laughs> characters in one outfit. Just like- and, I mean, it just got, like, a standing ovation. So, um, amazing, amazing show. Really glad I got to see it. So
3: Well, yep. and that's kind of the... Uh, uh, almost like a tribute to trauma because you know they don't they don't support monetarily to really any project so to have the six people take on so many roles is very that (laughs) sounds very very endearing to me you know
0: yeah very trauma very very good so i guess now we're going to segue into our main topic for the evening (laughs) but it horror what it means to me now um No, we're going to talk about horror and stuff, but now we're going to talk to uh, Brian a little bit, who's sort of our expert on the panel, having directed Mm. a horror film.
2: I think I am in a very expert company, I would say. Mm -hmm.
0: But we we want to talk about some of the things that Brian has going on, too. And right now, uh, Brian actually has a Kickstarter going on for... uh, your latest comic, I think it's called La Muerta. La Muerta. So, so like, I don't know a lot about it. it, you know, it I'm happy to, m- to tell you a yeah, little bit about it. Yeah, let us know a little please. bit about it. I, 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 I see, like, there's, like, a Day of the Dead thing
2: going on with it. The simple, simple way to explain the story is it's a Chicano version of The Crow meets Death Wish on Day of the Dead. Oh, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. But to illustrate it a little more, it's set in the present day in a stylized Los Angeles And it's about a girl named Maria Diaz who's returning from two tours of duty in Afghanistan. And Maria is to be reunited with her family on Day of the Dead. And unfortunately, her fraternal twin brother is a bit of a screw-up. And he has fallen in with an occult-leaning crime cartel. So later that night when the family is celebrating on Day of the Dead, the bad guys see them from afar and believe that the whole family is in on the crimes, stealing from them. Mm-hmm. Not the case. But in true revenge fashion, the entire family's wiped out, Maria included. Mm-hmm. Eight months later, she wakes up out of a coma to, to learn her family's dead. Oh, so she's in a coma. She's, is she? That's a good question. Oh. So in the story, <laughs> is she dead? Is she in a coma? Is she coming back from the dead? That's like a question you explore. In the- it is a question. I mean, uh, yeah, we're in this one, we're heavily influenced by the visuals of... Uh, seraphim war stories like uh the crow okay so it's you know it's is, is she back to the dead or not in this in our story she looks for justice finds none and we're aided by the mysterious festino who in in our mind in the, if it when it becomes a movie it's played by danny trejo okay she actually Decides to go out and dismantle this entire crime organization. So it's one five foot seven woman against like 120 <laughs> uh, criminals led by the nefarious Mama Z, whose bloodline reaches generations back to Aztec priests and who believes by, by beheading the innocent, it blesses her crime cartel. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty cool. So, another happy-go-lucky yeah. story from Brian. <laughs> 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 but this one is illustrated by a guy named Joel Gomez. He has a very aggressive visual style. Again, we're looking at Sin City, The Crow, um, very rich, wet, saturated colors, and... Although you've heard all, we definitely have all the lurid, exploitative kind of elements. It's very violent. It's very rich. It really, really is about this woman exploring what's the cost. So when she decides to go enact this mission, what really is the cost to her soul? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it, we liken it to a love letter to the action films of Luc Besson, who. I really like his work a lot. It's somewhere Mm -hmm. in between, like, Robert Rodriguez, Luke Besson. These are all our Mm call-outs. So it clearly has horror elements, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, as an example, Mama Z has a python she keeps in an empty pool. And she's trained it to just eat human flesh. So whenever they need to get rid of a body, they just chop it up and throw it down there to the python. So
0: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, I mean, I like stories like that a lot, especially, like, You know, like the Day of the Dead and the Crow kind of thing. I think the second Crow sequel tried to kind of do that, like City of Angels. But like, you know, not as, especially now that it's like Day of the Dead, I think that iconography is becoming really, you know, popular in terms of people are really into that
2: sort of like culture. Mm -hmm. What happened for me was about five years ago, I went down to Tucson Mm Comic-Con. And then later that weekend attended the All Souls Procession which is a Day of the Dead celebration. And it just knocked me out, because it, it, at that time it was about 30,000 people in a parade. And they're, they're going down the street, and emotionally everybody, all the participants are in very different places. So it's, in a sense, it's a celebration of those who have passed, but some, some people are happy about that, they're in a happy place, some people are sad. So very, very rich. The other thing that influenced La Muerta very strongly was pure revenge films Mm -hmm. and for my money if you go back and have a pure revenge film experience it's very hard to beat death wish
3: Mm -hmm. oh yeah
2: so looked at death wish and i looked at quite a lot of revenge films and in the modern revenge i saw uh what i thought were two things that were missing so the first thing that i saw was missing even in something like taken is there usually isn't every man every man He's not an everyman, but usually there's an everyman. And when the crime is enacted against them, they actually go for help. So they go where you'd normally go, the police, etc. It's kind of lost. Mm-hmm. And so with our gal, we wanted to do that, but we wanted to show that the police and everyone she goes to are also co-opted by like this. Like they're corrupt? They're corrupt. Yeah. This is a no-way-out circumstance. They're mm-hmm. in with the cartel. Uh, the other thing that's usually missing from revenge films is, in the modern age, is really just taking your time on that crime. So in our story, when Marie and her family are wiped out, we do take the time to to subject the reader to it, and it's it's not pleasant. I remember as a kid seeing Death Wish, and there's a horrific scene where these bad guys get into an mm-hmm. apartment and rape and murder the mother and daughter, and it, I mean, it was traumatizing. I could still think back on how brutal it was, but... As the viewer really helped me get engaged when you know Charles Bronson finally got around mm-hmm. to get the revenge, you're really really behind him. Yeah, now, it's
3: not like kind of like straw dogs too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, I don't, I don't feel as though most of the modern revenge films have as much gravitas to, to them. That. Yeah,
2: that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, Straw Dogs really loads the gun. That guy yeah. puts up with if that's like a hundred minute movie, he puts up with eighty-five minutes of being pounded upon, right. you know, down to the violation of his loved one. So yeah, I I think there's something to it. It was interesting. Um I this last week I was in Hollywood and I'm talking to studios about this particular piece. And it was an interesting with one particular group they were they uh, they weren't initially realizing in revenge films that it's really good to take your time on the crime, mm-hmm. and you know I said I said we can't be a match here because I think firmly and it's just proven that you know the the archetype is death wish and you gotta see the crime and you gotta to establish this person as a decent person for what they're about to do you gotta look for help yeah
4: death wish has that in spades too in fact that's a huge chunk of that film is just that and this is a different time too i mean a very different where i mean people really did go to the police and then we would say hey i you know i've got a case and stuff like that much more personal even at that point which is you know mid-70s new york
0: did get to a point especially like in the 80s where that was like a standard trope where there would be like usually one cop who would help the hero yeah. because
2: the rest, no one else got it or something. We even have that person too. Detective King. It's the oh. one guy. Of course, it's the one guy in the force who was willing to hear out Maria and what she was trying to do. Of course, trying to talk her off a ledge for what she's yeah. trying to do. Cause it's, ridiculous what she's trying to do well i think that's one of the reasons like the first crow movie really works as well as
0: it does is because they do take a lot of time and i guess they had to based on circumstances like establish you know the people who did this thing to brandon lee's character and why they're terrible and they take the time with flashbacks like zooming in like what this person individually did and why there's a need there for revenge and they have um, Ernie Hudson's character, Officer Albrecht, who was involved in this and now he's kind of on the outs because he tried too hard to get to the root of the problem, not knowing the corruption that was going on there with Top yep. Dollar, you know, kind of controlling the whole city. Yes. You know, even in like in like the later Death Witch movies, there's no way anywhere near as good as the first one. Like the police, like it gets smaller and smaller and they're just as corrupt and it's
2: just kind of like crime town, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's you know, it's as if the the criminal act wakes the person up to the real world which is Mm -hmm. just completely wrought with crime and it's you're surrounded by it you know it's its own matrixy kind of experience yeah the the pill in this case is like you know a smash on the head you wake up you're like oh man everyone's out to get everybody i think
4: if you look at in controversial like in real life like i always think of the bernie getz case and a lot of people you know always um uh politicized and uh you know uh we're gonna put it on this side or it was this or that but one of the big things about bernie Getz was he was a really mild-mannered kind of guy and he uh he had actually been robbed several times i mean that was his whole thing was he had been victimized and stuff i'm not drawing as a parallel to some of the fictional accounts we're talking about but i do think that that's an important part if you don't have the build whether I mean if you want to study true crime or you want to study people always want to know why why does something happen and and that's the the exacerbation usually is is that when justice is corrupt, justice is blind, people want not just the revenge um, for their own personal accounts, but it's the example that they made and that's why you know, like the crow is a good uh, a good uh, illustration. Or Sin City, or some of the other ones that we talk, you know, you talk about and stuff, is that people are dealt with in horrible, horrible ways because you have to be the, um, and even you're talking about like your cartel. Obviously, the cartel is famous uh, in here in the real world, you know, like a LaME and stuff like that. They deal with things in a very public,
2: horrendous way because mm-hmm. that's their brand, that's their trademark. Absolutely, so we did works. a lot of research and we saw. You know, without getting literal, yeah, the crime cartels in Mexico, when it's time to get down, it's it's catastrophic. Well, yeah,
0: it gives you, like, a really rich playground to play with, especially with, you like, got- this supernatural element. Especially, Like, because I know I've watched enough of these Vice documentaries where they have, like, all these cartels, they, like, do sacrifices. they do. You know, to Santa Muerte, or, like, they have a patron saint for drug lords. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we deal with narco-cultura. Um, when Maria comes back from Afghanistan we show early on that something horrific occurred and she may or may not have PTSD and she may or may not be seeing things. Mm -hmm. So one of the things she consistently sees is Santa Muerte, the patron saint of the underworld, who's demanding justica, justica. Mm -hmm. Is she seeing it? Is she not seeing it? Is she alive? Is she dead? But yeah, Rich um, love revenge films because look, I'm an average human being and we fantasize about revenge and Mm -hmm. we realistically cannot Go after revenge, but it's films like this that give you that cathartic release where you could kind of say, "Okay, the bad guy really, really does get it." Yeah.
0: Well, oh, I think true. that's also one of the reasons the Crow really works is because I think when James O'Barr was doing the mm. comic, so he was coming off of a thing where like his fiance had died, and he was kind of mm-hmm. pouring all of that into the comic. I remember I had the the graphic novel, and it has all these like poems and everything in there to kind of like
2: it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's uh, as good as it is more people should like it. I find it to be a much more complete and solid work than something like Watchmen, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I think Watchmen is a masterpiece for 15-year-old adolescents, but not for adults. Yeah. Whereas The Crow is a real grown-up, brutal story. And yeah, and it comes from a very real place in James' Hart.
0: Yeah. And so, I think that,
2: I, I, just, just,
0: Just to reach on this point, I think one of the reasons that, like, um, you see some movies, like, uh, based that are, like, revenge-based, that are based on comics that don't work, like um, Marvel's Punisher movies, for example, is because, like, I don't think they really understand how that character is supposed to work, because he's basically a sociopath, and they sort of just, like, kind of gloss on the fact that, like, oh, his family died, and now he's, like, killing people. Yes. Like, there's no actual catharsis. It's, like, it, you know... Uh, I think the only one that weirdly enough worked was the Dolph Lundgren one, just because you never, you you kind of got like the the idea. Like he had friends at one point from previous life, like Lewis Gossett Jr.'s character, and they were hoping to kind of bring him in to sort of redeem him in a way. But then, like, the overall Yakuza versus Mafia storyline that goes on in that movie is a little on the ridiculous side. But then they like blackmail him into it. So at the same, so you're finally at a point where he's kind of being forced to do something and you get all this PTSD stuff that's going on without it being as prominent a topic then. I remember I went to like a uh, thing at the Arrow Theater in a Santa Monica that's part of the American Tech, and a director writer was there and he's like, he's uh, like the same guy who edited Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Nice. So he actually works on a lot of these big movies and he had like, basically he was explaining the film and it's like... I, it's, it's one of those films that, like, he was saying that uh, if you look at it divorced from the whole canon film culture, he still thinks it works. And you watch it, I'm like, I, it does kind of work. It just seems cheap and part of that, like, oh, we got to get make this movie to kind of keep the rights. But, like... Between that and Punisher Warzone and the Punisher, it's the only one that kind of treats the Frank Castle character as somebody who, like, his family was killed. And he's just like, I don't know what the hell to do. I guess I just got to get revenge
2: somehow. See, that's where it becomes sort of empty, too. The premise that you switch the button and so something bad happened in the past. Now you're going to take up revenge and press a button. Now you're on revenge. It's kind of as you notice, it's kind of hollow. In our story, what we do is we actually say, what's the cost? Like imagine, you know, again, five foot six, five foot seven woman who's gonna try to take down a hundred people midway through the thing. You know, she's really wondering, like, what what did I get myself into? Mm -hmm. So again, we're dealing with an every person. She's not super heroic by any means. She's just clever, thoughtful, strategic, and she has Fastino to help her try to outthink this. But she does get in over her head. And that becomes interesting too. You know, with Punisher, who we all love and adore, it's like I'm after revenge and well, that's your character development.
4: And that's a big part to me always in these revenge films and stuff like that, because you can go on different gradients. but especially with like loved ones and family, like you're saying here in in you know, in the storyline, I mean, her whole family is she wakes up, they're all they're, they're all gone. dead. And a lot of people will go, Well, my my mode or whatever, my um, you know, I people would say, if I have nothing left to live for, if I have no family left, uh, everyone close to me is gone. You know, I have nothing but revenge to live for. But that's the thing. That's an important arc is to wonder if it's the right thing. Not just the right or wrong, not the real uh, simplistic moral, but the gray. Yeah. The gray is is where people really find themselves because it's it's you know it's like oh my whole family's dead and it's like yeah but they, do they really want me to do this because that's what people do is they go well I, i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna do it for them but never ask do would they really want me to do this mm-hmm. all
2: those struggles are super interesting to me and we actually we explore all of it that's what why revenge is just so rich i mean another great revenge film it's pretty unrelenting is rolling thunder I mean it's if you haven't had a chance to see it, it's just unrelenting and it uh it's very brutal. But yeah, so that's one so La Muerta is actually two forty eight page graphic novels. The first one is on Kickstarter As We Speak, mm-hmm. has about eleven days left. I'm happy to say it's already funded, I guess four hundred percent. And that allows us to do the the next one. And it's a lavishly illustrated, full color, you know, nice hardcover version, trade version and It is uh, very much a story from the heart, a very dark heart, Mm -hmm. but yes. And the way we've been doing our Kickstarters is um, we're really not Kickstartering to raise the money for creative. We're ostensibly raising money to pay for our printing. So by the time we get to our Kickstarter, the creative's done. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I mean, I think literally today we just sent Lomar to lettering, uh, off to lettering, or lettering is drafted, so we'll actually deliver, we'll close December 4th, and deliver five weeks later. We oh, wow, it. that's a really quick turnaround. That's, we've done three so far, and that's our turnaround. The fifth week after close, we ship.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's awesome. So
3: is it your own distribution? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, okay. well, I've had a mail order company, actually, since December 91. Okay. And uh, not only uh, my own material, but we're also private shoppers for everything mm-hmm. available in the Diamond Catalog for... Uh, quite a few people around the globe, actually. So this was Kickstarter is just a blessing for us because uh, you know we already have the mechanisms in place, right? And it's it's not always easy, but and it's fairly comprehensive. But it is what we do on a daily basis. So right. yeah, yeah, that's your livelihood. It's our livelihood. Mm-hmm. So we take mail order yeah, very very seriously.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh,
4: you
2: got it. You got it. <laughs> just keep people happy.
4: That's like the fastest Kickstarter turnaround possibly. Like at all? Of them. I don't. I mean, I, I, thinking that I'm still waiting a year and a half later on a few things oh, is sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. That seems. And I to don't be mean th- massive projects. I mean something like yeah. that where it should be. Yeah, I've that's only, a great model. I,
0: I think mainly like the things I've supported on Kickstarter have been like art books, and usually I like from the point, I, and I've supported a few movies. It's usually like a year until I see. Yeah. Something. So, I mean, I think it's a really good channel to help people, you know, who aren't part of like the machine of like bigger companies, yeah. like, you know, get uh, like uh, assistance from the people that they're
2: directly marketing it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it too. I mean, uh, I, I saw Kickstarter as a way to connect directly to. To the fan. Mm -hmm. You know, when one sells comic books through the comic book direct market, the margins are very different. So let's say, let's do a hypothetical. We'll take a $10 comic book, let's say, or $10 graphic novel, and I'm going to, I offer it wholesale to the uh, distributor, typically at 60% off, and then another 2.5% for the shipping rebates. So imagine that. So the $10 item becomes $4, so that's the margin that you're beginning to operate on. So you you know when um, if you're a Marvel DC you get better numbers. Being an independent comic publisher judged a little harshly, um, less discount, historically less carried. If there's 2,500 accounts, close to 1,500 of those never carry independent comics anyway. Just mm. historically don't. So you're really making it on about a thousand accounts anyway. Whereas conversely, on a Kickstarter, I could offer that same $10 book in a limited edition for Kickstarter at 20 bucks. That allows us to make the book, pay for the fees, and mm. ship the book. So it's just it's very, very different. And it gets to the people who exactly want it. Yep. And the way I saw it overall was we're using Kickstarter as like we're the band. You know, my, my model is always the band. So it's the band. We're getting out, we're playing, and this is <laughs> how we We're getting the band play. back together. Dude, we're getting the band yeah. back together. This <laughs> is how we play, you know. Uh, this is how we play. And then we will go back into the comic direct market. And you could look at it like we're going from the clubs to, you know, to the arena. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly how I saw it.
0: That's a good analogy. Now, I, I think a lot of people who, like, you know, since we mainly do film and uh, that sort of thing, um, would be familiar with you main, uh, growing up because uh, you're – Creation Lady Death. Yes. Um, do, you, do you mind
2: telling us a little bit about th- that character? Sure. Well, I invented Lady Death in 1988 at the height of the Thresh Metal era, mm-hmm. along with another character named Evil Ernie. And those two main characters spawned an entire universe of supernatural activity beginning in December of '91. To this day, Lady Death's Adventures keep going on, and it's about a sword wielding battle maiden who fights evil. She began as a girl named Hope who renounced her humanity to save her mother's soul from the devil in hell. And through years of trials and tribulations she's forged into that living weapon that you see, Lady Death. And Lady Death is a phenomenon to even in our household because she's achieved some sort of iconic status and I'm her caretaker, but it, in a <laughs> sense, she, she takes care of it on her own, in a sense. And she, mm-hmm. as strange as it sounds, I sit down to write the story. i like, she's telling me what the story is. So uh, I don't know exactly how or why she connected in such a broad base of people, but she has. And we're appreciative of it. Appreciated, appreciative of it and it, it's always mm-hmm. my job, I think, to kind of tell people the true Lady Death story, mm-hmm. whatever that is of the moment and the time. And, like, now you publish Lady Death yourself. Yes. I, um, you know, for a while there, I actually licensed out writing the stories to another company called Avatar Boundless. And I found them to be a corrupt criminal organization, <laughs> I allege, and, and took them to court. I actually sued them. And they sued me. And then over 13 months, we actually settled it. And now the outcome is I'm the complete and uh, total, our company is a complete and total owner of Lady Death and nice. all her future stories for all time, and it was not cheap to do, but it was the right thing to do. And strangely, dude, um, it was uh, it. It really woke me up. Like, like suing that company was the best thing I had done in about ten years because it just woke me up to who I was. It, strangely, I think it was sort of just like wandering around, kind of sleepy, you know. And um, I really, I got my my sack back, and hmm. it. It felt wonderful that, you know, it's high stress going through a lawsuit. Oh, yeah, yeah. However, it really was very invigorating, to be honest with you, more than anything. And, you know, and that began the charge. And, you know, the first new Lady Death came out in February. We shipped another one in August. And we have many, many planned. And we have three more just sitting ready, ready to go. So yes.
0: So um, your new character, the one we've been hearing about, Lamuerta, Are I'm all right. these stories like sort of self-contained, or are they kind of existing in the same universe now that you have
2: the rights? So very these good question. Uh, it's just the way my brain works. Everyone's in the same universe. Okay. And so you could count on one day, uh, Lady Death and La Muerta will meet. And even within the Lady Death comics, it's the way my brain works. We're telling self-contained stories that introduce additional characters and an expanding story that. Over time will lead to a monumental extinction level event. Because I like that too. <laughs> I love I love extinction level events. Mm-hmm. So yes. So Zack the Zombie Exterminator, although a horror comedy, does exist in the same universe as Lady Death. And, and who knows when characters of different tones meet? I always kind of find that funny.
0: Yeah. So I think another thing people might know you from is a film you directed, I think, was it 2007? 2008. Oh, 2008. Well, we shot in May 2008. Okay. Uh, called The Graves, which I think was part of the After Dark Horror Fest that following year. And it's kind of like a cross-genre sort of movie with a lot of like genre
2: icons people would know about.
1: Yeah. And uh, very
2: lucky to have uh, Tony Todd and Bill Mosley and Amanda Wiss in the movie. Yeah. So, like, would you like to tell us, like, a little bit about, oh, like, Amanda? <laughs> mm. We all love Freddie's first victim. Yeah. <laughs>
0: would you like to tell oh, us right, a little yeah. bit of kind of like, uh, like the germ of that idea or how you got, like,
2: because you've been doing films for a long time, right? Yeah. Well, I, I actually grew, began, I went to NYU Film back in the day mm-hmm. and I used to work in film production. So I started out as a kid who got coffee and ultimately became a, a professional production assistant on movies in New York City, on movies like Batteries Not Included, Bright Lights, Big City, Big Business, a lot of B movies. Did a couple <laughs> days on Big, believe it or not. And then um, I graduated to what's called a to being a first assistant director. And I worked for Def Jam Records on their First major feature called Tougher Than Leather starring Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, Orange Juice Jones, and Slick Rick, which Mm -hmm. was phenomenal. We could probably do a podcast on working for Def Jam. (laughs) It was, I went to work for Def Jam two days after Beastie Boys, License to Ill, came out. Oh, wow. That was an exciting time. It was insane. So I also, it was like Rick Rubin left his dorm and they went to their first building. And I was there for that period of time. So I'm a metal guy who loved that era of hip hop working for Def Jam. It was amazing. Um, oh, I'm getting way off topic. That's such a fun <laughs> topic, though. It's real rich. There's a lot of fun stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I could tell you every day in that office would be someone amazing every day. Like, I believe it. Like Quincy Jones, because there was an energy going on in Def mm-hmm. Jam and everybody, everybody, wanted just, pe- yep. everybody wanted to be a part of it. Every day, all day, L. Cool J, public enemy. Uh, every day. Amazing. Fun. Got to know some of those guys and very nice. Run DMC. Great group great group of guys. Jam Master J, rest in peace. Sweetest guy. Um, Daryl, really, really great. Uh, Joe Simmons, known as Run, is totally out of his mind, but sweet. But he is crazy. He's probably <laughs> still crazy. Um, now, so I was in film production for the longest period of time. And I think in 03 I decided I want to get back into film production. So I enrolled in Scottsdale Community College's film course so I could understand digital technology. This podcast being recorded here in Arizona, so it's all part of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I went through that uh, that uh, curriculum about eighteen months and went through everything they had to offer, and then made a short film, shot on film, called "There's Something Out There." It's about a murderous garden gnome who attacked a couple. Had a blast, and then used that as a tool to raise money to make another film. In this case, the Graves. And um, you know, I realize that the Graves isn't war and peace, but I got to tell you. I had, I and everyone involved, we just had the time of our (laughs) life because, you know, we just had so much fun. Mm -hmm. We were crazy enough to shoot this movie outside of, one half hour outside of Wickenburg, Arizona. So, Wickenburg's about 90 miles away from Phoenix and then to the historic uh, Vulture City. Mine was yet another half hour. And that's where we shot the great majority of the graves. And I had a blast doing it. uh, you know, I think most filmmakers I would like have had six more days to shoot it, that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, to to fully realize what we were trying to do there. but uh oh, I had such a good time. It's such a wonderful memory because I actually kind of gifted myself to take off all the time, to raise the money, make the film, finish the film, work on every nut and bolt of the film. and that was my full- time job. was just working on that. sort of like I'd saved up to do just that, and it was uh so great. It was like summer camp for two years was oh, yeah. on the movie. Yeah, and if you guys haven't seen this
0: movie, I think right now you can actually see it on Vudu on on video on demand. But like uh, the location that Brian was just talking about is just like it's like an amazing location, just like an abandoned ghost town, and like Very it, it looks, <laughs> it makes the movie look like that much better. Just all the age and like you know, yeah, it does like thirty
2: three percent of the work for you. Yeah, because it's so. Cool yeah but shooting the film was fun um guys like but you know stories and anecdotes so many but uh you know bill mosley is a prince among men came to the set every day knew not only every one of his lines but everybody else's (laughs) lines and uh very supportive brought a lot of energy and excitement same thing with tony todd just another wonderful guy brought a lot of excitement and invention and um yeah those guys are really, really good men. And then we had Randy Bly from Lamb of God, who's a friend of mine, played a part as well. And, you know, he's just another good sport. So everybody got together on the movie, really was a really good sport about it. And, um, yeah, I just have really nothing but fond memories of the whole process. I'd love to do it again.
3: So making an, an independent film, um, obviously, you know, you have the your finger on the pulse of what goes on. Uh, just with... Um, you know, funding and and just the process and other people's processes that I know that well. I'm I'm not a native Arizona. Like I said, I was I'm from Minnesota originally. I, I moved here in 2007, and I was excited to see at that time. But it 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 almost uh, ended as soon as I discovered it, where the Arizona Film Board was dissolving. Absolutely true. And. Every single year, and just, you know, as I, I casually look online, every year they're trying to get it to pass again to where there's, you know, the tax incentives, you know, try to revitalize it again. What is your take
2: on well, I mean, it's a dragging their feet? Or, so to give you a context, at the time we made The Graves, there mm-hmm. was a tax incentive for filmmakers, and right. it was capped off at a certain amount of money and a big Hollywood production called The Kingdom came in mm-hmm. and sucked up 75% of the tax incentive right off the bat. Oh yeah, this is the Jamie Foxx like uh, mm-hmm. war movie. Yeah, like I liked it. I liked yeah. the movie, but I mean, you know, unfortunately they were probably more sophisticated than the Arizonan tax folks. Yeah. But so then the tax uh, incentive um, was used up and then voted down. Here's here's unfortunately, you know, this is a game over situation in a sense in my opinion for mm-hmm. Arizona feature filmmaking because um in the interim while we're still arguing over nickels and dimes other other states have just stepped up to the plate in in a way that's so hard to recover for example new New mexico new mexico Georgia. georgia and georgia actually responded really recently they just flipped their switch like four years ago um and there's other places that are just bastions of production um tennessee is where all the um uh Home network TV shows, cable TV shows uh, are, but the places you mentioned, even Louisiana has incentives. So we're not so with it, unfortunately. I mean, uh, it would be amazing to shoot a film in New Mexico because of the assets they have. Mm -hmm. They have qualified, skilled personnel. They have studios, sound stages, and technology that's amazing. There's not a lot of endemic and I'm not like I'm not bagging on Arizona but it's kind of our baseline. There's not a lot of endemic technology here. You got to bring it in mm. and you do have to do a lot of trickery to kind of get what you want done. But whereas you know, again, go to maybe not Los Angeles, but even New Mexico, you just have so many toys you can play with. Yeah, so just not as many
3: resources yeah. here in Arizona. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they don't don't make it easy.
0: I was recently reading an article about like uh, Georgia and like uh, so many productions go down there that a lot are just staying put because the cost of flying personnel like you were talking about who know how to do these things kind of eats up the tax incentive anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean the way those incentives work too is getting kind of nerdy is um, – production entities are incentivized to hire local people because that's Mm -hmm. the idea is we're trying to get Mm -hmm. those folks so um you're allowed to bring key personnel from outside the state but largely you're encouraged because you will get an incentive if you employ local Mm
0: -hmm. yeah for 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 those of you guys who watch a lot of tv shows shot in canada this is why you see a lot of canadian stars like uh comic cons because they tend to hire
2: or yeah, things like Dawn of the Dead remake. You know, mm-hmm. you saw uh, the great majority of the cast was Canadian. Remember, mm-hmm. Max Headroom was in it and stuff yeah. like that. Because yeah. I think they can only bring one or two Americans. If I I got that wrong, I think it's just one or two, and then you have to cast up there. Yeah, a certain percentage or whatever. Well, that's yes. what most
4: of them. I mean, the Canadian tax shelter is pretty much what has funded the majority of films, especially oh, yeah. horror films and low a budget. Lot of, a
2: lot of movies we all like but, come from other, Like. Oh, pony pool like the weirdest films oh, yeah. I, I I get knocked out that the government will put money up or even like in Europe same thing for the craziest yeah. movies that I want to see. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean that's been the um uh, there's been a little bit of a boon right now with the uh New Zealand with uh what we do in shadows and I was and, just thinking about and, it. Yeah, and yeah. uh Death right? Is if another one. There's a few others and they're all, you know, it's building up and so there's there's a lot of it out there. I mean I always, when I grew up, of course, uh, especially I grew up in the 80s, most of it was realizing that there was a place called Astoria, Oregon, which (laughs) is pretty much where every film. And then the 90s and 2000s, all of them are Vancouver, British Columbia. I mean, you know, but now you're seeing, yeah, more states stepping up. And yet part of it is saying, look, we have a vast um array of climates and uh you know we have right i mean arizona does have it do that's the thing we have it's
2: such a beautiful state but we're like a little backward in terms of getting behind it and think about this too it always knocks me out is there's california and you know just shipping that stuff out here if we need to it's just not that bad but our government has not been supportive in fostering this particular uh uh, industry just hasn't been it's yeah. crazy. Well, it's one of those things that's, like, really difficult to understand,
0: too. Because, like, basically, I remember, like, in 2007, 2008, um, there were a lot of film production companies, like, starting around up here. Because I got a lot of work, like, full disclosure, doing, like, you know, web design for their projects and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Not just Brian's, but other people. Sure. And once that incentive went away, almost all of them just, like, packed up
4: and went back to, like, the West Coast. Yeah, you almost have to. Yeah. And then there was the... Um... You know, economic downturn and stuff. But I mean, there's always been homegrown. I mean, there was um,
2: brain damage films, and there's yeah. I mean, it's, I'm thinking more solely in horror. Um, yeah, and brain but, damage. I mean, you know, I can't really speak for for those guys, except to say that they they are based here, but they will hire to have films made all over the place. Yeah,
4: I meant more too, just kind of the idea of of having like a based, yep. you know, building Arizona up, and there's just you know. That has, unfortunately. I mean, I even think uh, one of the first things I know, Adam and I moved here at relatively the same time. And the one thing I remember was going to um, uh, the first few International Horror and Sci-Fi Film Fest and thinking, oh like this is amazing like the, the 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 culture and the support was just incredible and that was like 2007 to like 2010 and i would i was beyond impressed um and it wasn't just oh hey we brought we shipped in these stars you know parcel post it was the built-in um community that was already here and all these you know incredible folks with many talents And now it's even was the Arizona uh, Film Fest. And now it's kind of like, you just don't, it's, it's, this isn't a, you know, either or like a commentary. It's just more that you just don't hear about it. It used Mm. to have its own hype machine. Like, that's what I really mean. Well, Brian, you were the founder of the International Horror. Yeah, I was co-founder. Your co-founder.
2: International Horror Sci-Fi Film Festival. And I threw my heart and soul into it for about three years.
0: So what inspired you initially to get that going?
2: Uh... I That's a good question. I I just, you know, like you guys, love movies mm-hmm. and love the idea of turning people on to movies. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had, a sk- particularly at that time, that's where I was putting some attention, so I had a skill set to be able to find things. Because <laughs> even back then, that was, it was 2005 to 2008, and it's a different time than now. Yeah. But to be able to go find and procure things and say, hey, come check this thing out, to me is... Uh, just very very delectable and fun activity. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's really it's really that simple. I mean, that's how we met we met a lot of folks that way. And you, the smile on a person's face or the disgust on a person's face when they come out and see a movie, it's just uh, it's a it's a very delectable thing, right? <laughs> you either it's oh a, yeah, it's the sort of thing you either get or you don't. So I think it was that, and it was. Um, I had, you know, had the benefit of traveling around the world, and I could see other cities where people really get behind stuff like that. Yeah. and I was really hoping uh, that we get a critical mass in in Phoenix. I mean, you go to different parts of the country, and people are bananas about movies. Oh, yeah. I
0: kind of think
2: your approach to
0: like the international horror sci-fi was like a little ahead of its time in, in like hindsight. Because I mean, this isn't too like. Uh, denigrate anything that's going on now since like the current international horse basically like a programming track of the Phoenix Film Festival but like in the last I would say like two to three years we've seen festivals kind of following your model where it's like you know older films with like a special guest alongside submissions and like newer discoveries like taking off like especially like in la we go to beyond fest and like in denver they have like the stanley film festival and these are just like smaller film festivals that now get like national attention following basically the same formula you were doing back then that they don't do here anymore
2: yeah well thanks yeah i I had a i had an absolute blast doing it and i remember particularly the third year it just took everything i had and i just had to kind of look at what other things I wanted to accomplish and Mm -hmm. sort of felt like, okay, I did this one here. That's that last one is probably the best I can do. And all I'd be doing is repeating myself. So I better go make my own movie. And that that actually was it. I was sort of in the middle of the third one. I was like, okay, for the amount of effort I put into this, Mm -hmm. I mean, as a small effort or as a small example, I'm not going to go on the record, but we had a star there for the third year and for us to accomplish that person being there, the amount of effort it took, it took, i clocked like 85 phone calls oh my god going not going gonna be there not gonna be there like all this kind of stuff deals done deals not done blah 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 like by the end of that whole process i said okay now this is done and instead of being of service to other films like i better start putting that kind of effort into my own and it really did lead lead to the journey of the graves Mm -hmm. for sure yeah (laughs) because that's the whole thing i think um Especially
0: back then. And this is one of the difficulties I think we as cult classics see, like, in doing our own film exhibition. is just building the infrastructure to gather a critical mass or even, like, you know, 300 people to come every month for, you know, this sort of experience. You have to build it up as, like, a community thing. And Phoenix is such a sprawl. It's really
2: difficult. It is. We've discussed this uh, Mm -hmm. off-air several times. It is very unique in the country. Yeah. Because you could take this same thing and put it, strangely, even like in Indiana, and five, you know, like a thousand people will show up. Yeah. I don't know what's in the water here, but uh, it's it's a challenge. It
0: it is. It's a big challenge, (laughs) especially when we travel around. Because I've been to like film festivals in like Toronto and Austin, and there's like eight, nine different people doing the same thing. And out here, it's like maybe one or two, and getting the word out about it is like, pulling teeth yeah
3: because when when you went to the better off dead screening that had um a Most lot of, of the cast, cast was Most there i the mean that's you know that's that's a little bit different yeah. obviously but i mean it was still a sold out event mm-hmm. if you were to do something like that here i don't think it would be as big well i mean to th- I, that's
0: the thing like I remember I think this might have been the last year you were doing it it was at Madcap and I think Ken Foray was like mm-hmm. one of the guests Meg and, and and Linda Blair Yeah and uh the, you screened Dawn of the Dead Oh yes and there were and this was like in Desi Reels where we we had a movie there a couple of uh-huh. times yep. and it was um 400 people yes. and it was sold out yep. you know and this was basically like akin to like beyond fest you mm-hmm. know where they had a lot of older cast members okay there yeah and that's like basically beyond fest is like the same formula that mm-hmm. international horror sci-fi was in, where it's like they had an older film with like q a with a guest gotcha. and then they would have like you know like right after uh better off dead they were showing the new takashi miike movie yakuza apocalypse oh, yeah, that's right yeah. you know But they were giving tickets away to that to get it filled up. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, like, but that's because Shudder, the new streaming channel from AMC, was like the sponsor. So basically, they were, they had underwritten the cost of that screen. Oh, there you go.
2: Yeah. Yeah, 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 we had a rationale to every time frame. Like, and then every night at 11, we went into the super extreme stuff. And I remember uh, screening a movie called Neighborhood Watch. I don't know what it then became called but mm-hmm. man it was such an extreme film <laughs> so happy to have screened that
4: yeah but i think that film neighbor i remember
2: seeing that at one of them and that one blew me away well this one's the... called neighborhood watch okay. for sure and it was a very twisted film yeah. but i think it got renamed well i think even with cult what you guys are doing part of what i think we were trying to do is try to create community yes and yep. it was to be able to kind of reach out because i had so many i mean the other thing too is when you, you get together with other fellow film fans just the conversations it's it's great it's like good beer and good wine right it's mm-hmm. just part of, part of the excitement of it all and so you know like you guys are doing with cult that's the idea we're looking to achieve is to have a, basically a whole weekend long series of events in which people could continue a conversation the whole weekend yeah. about things that they love and adore and you know I can't i can't understand exactly why i love and adore this stuff except that i do and i knew there was just enough other people Mm -hmm. that we could just create like you know one long fun conversation yeah and that thing usually leads to creating a bigger culture
0: you know i think that has happened a lot with our events where we've like met people and that's sort of expanded the circle of things we hear Mm -hmm. about even if it's in different like scenarios like you know we reach out a lot now to like this sort of like Burgeoning nostalgia arcade community. Oh yeah, because it's sort of like a coalescing. Yeah, the and, retro
2: game pop. People. Yeah.
0: So and then we all, and then we have like the podcast like we're on now where we just like make those like conversations a little broader since the internet I guess gives us a bigger arm for it now.
2: True. You know it's weird? It's like with things like Netflix. I've been really pondering this recently. It's like. It, People are in the under the illusion that it's opened the world, but I actually think it's shut it down. It's made
0: it more insular.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's just less variety on there. You know, it's like I'm I'm really sad for the old. This is tangential to what we're talking (laughs) about, but I'm just sad for the old like video video arc um, video stores because they would really some of them could really have depth. That was a
4: community based portion because I I, I I worked in video stores when I was in high school and college and. Uh, managed one and it and there was a real community even at that time where we were getting over to dvd and it was changing but it was still uh, it's real hard to pinpoint or to isolate what exactly the formula is or the magical ingredients but it's funny that when you brought up the dawn of the dead that was the first show i went to that was friday night of the 2007 international horn sci-fi it was the first thing and i honestly can mark that as when i got super back in i just started getting back into horror that summer like heavily it never went away it just became i mean a huge part of my life and is now very very much you know probably a little too much but kind of like you said you don't know why but you just feel it uh, horror and cult and exploitation all those things mm-hmm. it just means a lot to me but i walked in that room and it wasn't about Ken Forey being there. I mean, that was a like a plus. It was great to have the Q and A and stuff. It just felt the energy there, and in at a lot of our cult classic shows, that's what I feel. That's why I'm a part of it. But it's, I think that you know you get into these like you know in Austin or those kind of places. And Victor brought a great point. There's um, demographic issues and stuff like um, isolation in terms of transportation and things like that. But I really think it's just that Arizona has it; it, it does exist here because I've seen it so many times. It's just really difficult to sustain because people need it's it's the battle. And Victor and I have talked to us as Adam and I have it's that battle between um, you know innovation and change and that stability
2: and nostalgia and that's really what it boils down to. Mm. And, you know the thing that trumps all every th- all these communal things is convenience that's that's kind of the enemy mm-hmm. of like the video store cuz you know it requires far more interaction you got to get in the car you got to go on down you got to talk blah 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 but you know this con- the illusion of convenience of Netflix i mean Netflix is it's perfectly fine i don't know about you guys but i mean it's it's all kind of like junky stuff i mean yeah. it's like the the real jewels they're there and i I'm really happy for Netflix for discovering things like um, "Resurrect Dead," the story of the Tollemby tiles. I mean, if you haven't seen it, wow, you know, <laughs> or uh, Marwan Call." It's another documentary that'll mm-hmm. boggle your mind. It's probably worth like three years worth of Netflix, yeah, uh, fees, but. To me, it's an illusion because, you know, there was a place we used to go to to be able to kind of find, you know, super weird stuff. Well, yeah, and that's, like, one of those things that, like, is important about, like,
0: you know, film festivals and programming. It's somebody who's going to go out and see these things and say,
2: I want to show
0: you this because it's awesome and you're never going to hear about it otherwise. Mm -hmm. I remember the last, like, 10 years, there's a lot of those, like, kind of moments. Like, I remember, like, Hausu or, you know, the 1977 version, Mm -hmm. Japanese house movie. And I'm like, you got to see this movie. It's, like... A horror movie But it's like Scooby-Doo And musicals And animation And people turn into <laughs> bananas and I'm like what? You know Or I remember Like when I first started Like doing cult classics Like one of the first Like I don't usually show Newer movies But I saw like uh, Juan of the Dead Ugh. The Cuban Like yeah, a zombie great. Great uh, Comedy horror And I like I booked that movie And I was the first, I had like the uh, Southwest premiere of that movie Because I'm like You guys need to see this movie It's <laughs> so fucking good So good You know but in some, t- you know, and as you know, technology has gone on. It's made it both harder and easier to show some of these movies. Like, you know, I'll talk to distributor. Like, well, will you give us enough play times? Well, no. Then we're going to show it, give it to this, pe- these people, at, you know, heart- whatever other chain, and then they'll book it at a theater, and then like maybe five people will come, but it doesn't matter because they had like ten show times. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's like one of those things that makes it like frustrating from a exhibit like exhibitor point of view to show cool things to people versus they'll end up just dumping it on netflix and that's where people will discover it later
3: yeah i think i, I you know, we were in brief discussion about having turbo kid yes on the on the day that it was released but yeah. it just it just kind it of didn't fell apart work out yeah i mean we knew what it was and we really wanted to see it yeah But would it bring in, you know, the people, you know, would it cover, you know, enough? And the
0: thing is, here's the sad thing. If Turbo Kid had come out like two weeks earlier, we had like the perfect, like, you know, like opportunity because we had like, what was the video game movie we played when Game On Expo was coming out?
1: Uh, Starfighter? Yeah, the last last Starfighter. Starfighter. We
0: showed the last Starfighter and it was a complete sellout we did in conjunction with the Game On Expo convention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And it hit like all these demographics at once. We had like a post-show party at like a video arcade, Starfighters. So it was that whole community, everything happening. But like, and we talk. I talked to the people. Can we just get it like a week earlier? I mean, and we could have done it as a double. And oh, they're yeah. like, cool. no. They're like, all right, all right. All. you try.
2: Yeah, and yeah, then try it did. Ask. And
0: it hit, ended up hitting like VOD at pretty much the same time. And it, yeah, like, it was
2: all the same. And the thing,
0: thing then. is, I I don't think via, like day and date releasing really hurts, um, like film exhibitors the way they're afraid of. If you do a good job of promoting, and the thing is promotion is something that people don't really hit on a so lot it's of another
2: podcast yeah, yeah exactly
0: we could go to town on this but oh, basically yeah. it's it's just you know i i want to do one eventually on like the perils of film exhibition and all that and we might have we've done one on that in the past <laughs> too
4: but we've talked about in the end really what it's about and this is the biggest thing like i go and see i don't go see movies a huge amount like first run stuff i usually go dollar theaters I'm a cheap bastard but i'm also one of those people i see less and less stuff i really enjoy and feel like paying full price for um but most importantly for me is is that i just i feel like it's the only time i ever put away my phone or i put away whatever book or magazine or something i'm reading and i think that that it's that i'm going to experience this film or i'm going to experience whatever it is and we have just completely got away from that because uh, especially from the communal portion of it and talking about movies. I mean, you used to be able to go see a movie. You would know, it's like you're talking about the video store. You also used to be able to go see movies either that were showing in you know, an art house or a grindhouse kind of theater. Sure. And you could start talking to people because you're the only people who saw it. Mm. I remember seeing like almost, what is it, 17 years ago, I remember going and seeing Killer Condom.
2: Nice. The Oh, film. I remember that. That's and actually people, a really good and movie. And that
4: was one, I just remember being like so blown away. by. I'm from Seattle. We used to have a theater called the UA-150 and it was an old school one, and they would show prints of everything. I mean, I got to see Exorcist, uh, The Shining, Creature from the Black, all the Universal monster films, all of it in the original 3D or whatever. But the best part about going was you just start talking to people, and I and the, like I kind of wasn't able to quite hit on it earlier. But the thing about the um, that that feeling is is like okay, we're all here, we're all. We're here for different reasons, but there's always going to be that same reason. And we're all going to, you know, turn off our phones and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to actually enjoy this together as it's meant to be. And it just feels like human beings, like we just do not have that kind of family dinner table experience anymore. Mm -hmm. But even at Comic-Cons and stuff, like I feel like going on different mediums is is that like you can talk to people. There's uh, connections are truly made and people... It's just sad because it's become more about um like I did this experience, not I had this experience.
0: Yeah.
2: You pull your phone out and it's like click, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that yeah, that's funny. we I was at the ghost show in Vegas and I, there was hundreds of phones and I was thinking, just yeah. be there. Here we are. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. yeah. You can't hold on to here's the crazy thing. You know, you, you you got your phone, you got your thousands of photos, you can't hold on to any of this stuff. It's all yeah. you know it comes it goes yep. just, you know. just,
4: just experience it but that's the thing is is that when you really hit on it that is the formula or that's the, the magic thing is is that the experience when people feel like it's yeah. it's worth whatever the the cost and stuff and it's kind of like you talked about like getting the band back together and stuff and I'm a musician and stuff I've been in the music business over 25 years now and the way I look at it is is that people are always you know it, it, it's Always going to be that, I, you know. People used to go anywhere to see a band. I mean, there were a lot of times you would not be able to go see a band in your hometown, Without a doubt, and and uh, I still go like uh, Tucson to see the to the loft. And yeah. Victor has driven <laughs> more times than I can <laughs> count to to L.A. to see films. I've only done a few, but it's 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 not just a dedication; it's a desire for that experience yeah. and that that community. So. I think that that, and that's one thing that I do think that horror and cult and exploitation have above all other genres, without a doubt. And that's what I think keeps it important. Yeah, hardcore dedication among the fans. Yeah. No yeah.
0: doubt. Yeah, and that's that's just one of those things, too.
4: Like um, Because
0: a lot of these experiences, you can't, like you said, you can't capture on a phone. You can't, like, you
2: know... You can have, try, but then it just goes away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Like, I remember I drove out to L.A. to see, like, uh, the four-hour con cut of like kill bill and it's like i thought okay well you know and sure you could guesstimate like little differences but then you sit there and it's like the first thing you see or like you know the the little reel that says official selection of cat the con film festival because wow. they kept all that stuff oh, and cool and then you're like there's a different intro than the regular movie and i'm like oh my god why did they change these things because this movie is like <laughs> perfect and it's never been released on blu-ray apparently like uh they're never going to put it out that way you know or even like they said the 70 millimeter version of hateful eight is going to be different than the mainstream release <laughs> so these are things that you want to go out of your way to go see because they're like almost like when you go see a band do different shows like you have the different bootlegs like oh yeah this one they did this song and they never do that live you know and that's the thing like a lot of times it's even with like conventions and stuff they'll have a guest or something going on there that makes it special and everything and i mean i don't know if you wanted to get into that at all but you with you in the tucson comic-con at all
2: uh sure i mean i uh well, what I can say is that uh, myself and my wife, Francisca, are partnering with Mike and Teresita Olivares, owner, and now we are all now owners of Tucson Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And I've attended Tucson Comic Con since year two, and I enjoy, I love Tucson. I find it to be a magical, special place. I put it like third in line for weird in the country. You got Austin, Portland, and then Tucson, and I think it's uh, a wonderful, cool place. And it, I think you guys attended for the first year. It's a really fun, cool convention. And we just thought there was an opportunity to help it completely fulfill its mission of being a community event that is pop culture for all. So uh, just briefly, we're on board. You will see enhancements almost immediately on Tucson Comic Con. And In fact, I think probably in the next 10 days we announce the date for 2016 and uh, I'm just happy to do it. I, I love building things, so it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, when I enjoyed what I did with uh, International Horror Sci-Fi, I look forward to uh, taking everything I've learned for attending comic book conventions since 1972 as a fan. Oh, My wow. first con was in <laughs> 1972 in New York, and then as a professional since 91, been to hundreds. And... Uh, I like building stuff, too. So, well, for all those reasons, we're very happy to be involved and honored and look forward to make it a smashing destination for people across the country. Well, I'm excited to check that out. Oh, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. It was definitely,
4: like... Uh, it felt like the way cons used to be, and I, I find I want that experience more and more, not just as, like, a nostalgia, but just because that community is exactly what it's about. It's, it's a cool community. It's just so much fun.
2: Yeah, and, I, you know, it's interesting. I don't think we've tapped uh, – I know we're in the wrap-up, but um, – <clears throat> we really haven't tapped that community yet. It is a fascinating place down there. There's a local film community that hasn't intersected and others, and we're after everybody. And and our objective is nothing less than to be a community event where the whole week leading up to Tucson Comic Con or events leading, are related to it, and then the con itself is an explosion. And even in preliminary conversations, the town is really behind the five-year plan. So before we came on board, I built a business plan uh, Mike and I had been talking about this for, for years, quite literally, and uh, then this year became the year. And so we came on board this year in a observatory fashion to observe exactly how it's run currently, and that was that was a fun experience because I never had to do anything, but I watched everything. Like I, I went there before the first table was up, and I saw you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then took notes. And now we get to enact a plan to help it realize its potential. Yeah, that
3: sounds like fun for me to see like the whole process just without actually having to do anything. Yeah, exactly. You know? (laughs) Except take your notes and see where improvements can be made.
2: Oh, it was a hoot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it.
4: If you get King Diamond to play again right after, that would be...
2: (laughs) Dude, you know what's
4: crazy? Was... And the procession of souls again was amazing, too. It was too. amazing.
2: The king was almost a guest. At I know. Tucson. You oh, heard about, I heard, You probably uh, heard that, that, right? That
4: would have been awesome.
2: I, well, I could tell you, too, for sure, we're interested in rock and roll intersecting. Yeah, you know, we got butt friends on the speed dial. So, yeah, we, we'll be reaching out to some rock people for sure. Yeah. Awesome. But, the, yeah, what a great weekend that was, right? Yeah, that was king. the best. I don't know, like um, a friend of mine is a sound guy for Exodus. So I was able to wander back afterwards. We never saw the King, but we took pictures with all the props and everything. It was a hoot. And then and then the King Diamonds guitarist tech is a friend of mine too, a guy named Willie G. He's like famous rock uh, tech guy. So we were able to kind of skirt back <laughs> and take pictures with the, 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 um, uh, the baby stroller and light it up with smoke. Good times, <laughs> good times awesome awesome stuff well
0: i think we've had a really like nice in-depth conversation with brian oh yeah, thank everything. you for having me so like, much brian
2: oh the pleasure thank you guys
0: horror revenge comic books yeah it's all death jam of it yeah exactly. most important
4: i want to hear more death jam story yeah, we, we gotta a, hear that
0: oh we could do a whole podcast that, and exactly. that'd be great maybe down the line but uh, before we close <laughs> <laughs> maybe before before we close out is there anything else you'd like to uh,
2: promote well what I'm pimping these days you could find on LadyDeathUniverse.com. it's our currently active la Muerta Kickstarter but I could also tell you that on December 4th at Phoenix fanfest we are actually going to have the la Muerta. Closing party. We usually do launch parties, and they're usually outrageous. And we're going to do a, a closing night party for the last two hours of the Lamorta Kickstarter project. Oh, cool. And we're going to have one of our uh, characters come to life—the one and only Mama Z, who's you know very shapely. You know, it's it's like Sofia Vergara as a bad,
1: hmm. a oh, bad oh guy.
2: So uh, we have a very lovely model playing Mama Z. And uh, for any other updates on our activities, Lady of Death Universe is the place to go. Thank you awesome
0: so uh yeah let's close this all out a couple of housekeeping notes remember you can always subscribe to cult following on itunes just look for cult following we're all find all our past episodes on cult Co and on soundcloud at cult following this is our 25th episode i think this is now a year we've been doing this A,
3: a year since our first recording we yes. actually didn't get it posted until January. That's or, no, right. uh, the, I think it was maybe like December 29th or something. Yeah. It was somewhere within there.
0: Yeah, so we've been doing this about a year now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I think I'm really proud of, of, all, of you guys, all, all the listeners for checking us out, keeping us going. You know, we've gotten some really great numbers on some of these. Um, and we love all the comments we get on SoundCloud and on Facebook. Uh, so give us a rating. That only helps us out on our popularity, gets us more ears out there um if you are in the phoenix arizona area check us out on december 12th when cult classics shows Spaceballs in the lead up to the force awakens the schwartz awakens we've already we've already sold (laughs) 66 tickets just this first week so this one is going to sell out you guys don't wait too long um it's going to be a fun time we're all super excited
3: and uh, i'll I'll be doing a uh, a star wars roundtable Oh yes, a few
0: buddies of mine. That's right. We're having our first spinoff podcast. Yeah. Adam is doing a uh, sidestep. Yes, November twenty eighth. It should
3: be up around then, right? Yeah, yeah. I might, I might hold off, maybe posting it a little bit later yeah as it gets closer but i don't want they're, they're starting to shove out all these you know all the tv ads and stuff now it's hard to kind of keep up or even really want to watch them so it's all yeah so i go into a little bit more surprise and you'll
0: be able to hear that on our same cult following feed
4: yes. first part of the cult yep. following network expanding a little bit beyond yep. our
0: purview and kirby
4: oh i just want to say i mean thanks to everybody here I and mean, we definitely everybody we couldn't do it without you and really appreciate all your support but I also want to because and I totally just forgot his name again, uh, who did our theme? Oh, John, M- John, M- John Mapes. John. John Mapes, you yeah. are awesome. It's definitely one of yeah, my favorites. Favorite. I am beyond proud of that. Like to to be able to have that. So thank you so much. If I don't say it enough from the first time I heard it, still yeah, listen to it. You know, it's and amazing. I, and
3: I did not have to romance him into it. I mean him. I just I asked him, you know, if he'd be willing to do a an original theme song and I told him you know kind of what it was about and uh, like a week later they boom there it is Yeah, he's like oh where do you want me to send this and, uh, and it's awesome
0: yeah I love it it's like totally like goblin for right. the now yeah um, so, yeah, once again, and you can also get tickets for Spaceballs at coclassicsaz.com and at Z-Records. Check them out. Also, will you
4: be having a Black Friday sale? Yes, there?
0: we will be having a Black Friday sale. Check us out. We'll have some details up on Wednesday. Right now, you can actually go to shop.cultclassicsaz.com, and most of our T-shirts are $10 right now on Ooh, sale. Yeah, we'll nice. also have some buttons, some mini print packs, and we'll also have some gift cards available in various numerations, denominations so you can use them for movie tickets and merchandise. So yeah until next time my friends, stay thirsty don't eat after midnight. (laughs) Hail
2: Satan. (laughs) Satan, (laughs) And most of them Satanus. And kill Hitler
0: random noise
2: Oh my god. Oh no god here little missy